1 Corinthians 15, I, I, I battled... I was kind of hoping that, that maybe we would, uh, if, I was, if I was better, maybe this would have been Easter Sunday and we would have uh, been right here in chapter 15 and it worked out perfectly. And I, I guess uh, maybe if, I, if y'all allow me to pastor for 10, 15 years, maybe I'll become that good. But it worked out where it's a couple Sundays early and I was struggling with whether do I just skip and go to chapter 16 and come back to 15. But the, the, I feel like the, the Spirit of God just said to me, Chris, it's okay to talk about the resurrection over three Sundays. It's okay, buddy. It's worth it. it don't have to, you, don't have to, you don't have to just do that on Easter. And so we're going to talk about the resurrection over the next three Sundays. And then it's going to culminate on Easter Sunday when I, I, I have really... Easter Sunday is just going to be a real simple message and I, I just have one, really one question for you on Easter Sunday. And it's really a statement, but what we believe about Christ's resurrection is the essence of our faith. It's the foundation of our faith. If Christ is not alive, just like we're going to see today, if He's not alive, what we're doing here is absurd. What we're doing here is an utter waste of our time. We, we ought to be pitied. We're, we've believed a lie. We're professing a lie. We're living a lie. There, there are things that all of us want to do on a daily basis that we don't do because the Word of God says don't do it and the Spirit of God in us says does not let us do it. If He's not alive, then we ought to do it. Hear me. Don't boil Christianity down to, well, I, I still lived a moral life. There is no morality without the Word of God. We know morality because God has put a morality in us. If there's no Word of God, if this is not true... We ought to just go live like animals and do whatever we feel like doing. Whatever we feel like doing. That's what Paul says. So don't, don't say, well, you know, well, at least I lived a good life. No, you wasted your life on a lie if Christ is not raised from the dead. You have wasted your life. But the point of what Paul says here, and we'll see here, is he, he has been raised from the dead. He has been. So that should change everything about our lives. This is core, this is foundational stuff here. You don't get the resurrection right, you don't get salvation right. The gospel, as we'll see, is Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again. He didn't just live and die. Don't stop there when you're telling the gospel. He was raised. He lives. We, we, the effects of this are, are huge. They're huge. You see, Christ's resurrection, his, his, his death, burial, resurrection paid for our past, provides for our present, but it also guarantees our future. And guess what? If he's not alive, you know what Paul says here? Then we don't live. I have no future. But his resurrection guarantees mine. And what we believe about the resurrection ought to impact the way that we live today. Today. This isn't something where I, that, that I just deal with that in the future. No, this, this impacts our todays. How we spend our days on earth today, Paul is saying, are impacted because of what Christ promises for the future. You, you, believer, if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's the point. You can't lose. You can't lose. Your future is secured, it's purchased, it's guaranteed. And our theology, that theology plays out every day, ought to play out every day in our lives. 
And we'll see, that's why Paul says, he says, why would I do what I've done and allow myself to go through what I've went through if there is no resurrection? And the same would be true to us. And and the point Paul makes is we can live with certainty, with certainty that Jesus Christ has been resurrected and that he lives at the right hand of the Father. Certainty about that. But this means this. Because that is a certain fact, guess what? If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you too will experience the resurrection. That's the certainty. Apart from Jesus Christ, you know what? Death does win. Death is the final say. But if you're found in Jesus Christ, if you've placed yourself in Jesus Christ, if the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away your sins, as Ephesians 1.18 says, that He's taken you who were crimson and made you white as snow, you will not experience death. Will you die physically? You will die, but it's, you, you'll be just like that. You'll be alive. More alive than you've ever been in your whole life. That's faith. And that right there is the uniqueness, like we'll see today. It's the uniqueness of Christianity. We serve a risen Savior. Our past, our present, and our futures are secured because Christ is alive. He is alive. So the natural question is, do you live like it? And that's why I titled it this, Because He Lives, and then just you fill in the blank. Because He lives what? How does the fact that He lives, how is that fact changing your life? Is that fact changing your life? Would your life change at all if Jesus were not alive? That's an even bigger question. If Christianity was proven to be false, would your life change at all? Besides maybe getting back some time on Sunday mornings. Would it change at all? That, that's what Paul is dealing with here. The fact of the resurrection. It's a fact. And that's the first fill-in, the fact of the resurrection. In verses 1 through 11, Paul deal, this is what Paul is arguing. He is arguing, he is t- talking to them from the fact of the resurrection. He's not trying to defend the resurrection. He's not trying to get you to believe the resurrection. He's arguing from the fact that they know the resurrection happened. He's not trying to convince you. He's not conf- try- and, and in the text, obviously, not trying to convince you. The, the readers of uh, the letter who this was written to, the Corinthians, he's... he's He's talking about a known fact, an accepted fact. You see that. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, verse 1, which you received. They know this. They know this. They've believed in it. They were saved by it. And yet there are some within the Corinthian congregation who are trying to deceive them and convince them otherwise. And that's what Paul is talking about here. They've been saved by this. They know this gospel. It's been preached to them. It's been taught to them. The the fact of that, he says, the gospel which I preached to you, verse 1, which also you received, in which you stand, verse 2, by which also you are saved. That word, that phrase, you are saved in the Greek, that is in the present tense. What Paul is saying is you are continually saved by the gospel. You weren't saved as an 8-year-old, and then you start living on your own strength. You weren't saved by the gospel way back then, and now it's up to you. No, every single moment of every single day, you are being saved by the gospel if you're in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Again, not saved long ago, and now you do it by works. You continually stand on this gospel. That is how we're saved. 
It is God's grace that we believed in the first place, and it is God's grace that we continue to believe. Present tense. Christ, literally, He keeps us. In the past, we were justified. In the present, we're being sanctified. In the future, we will be glorified. All works of God, all grace of God. It's all of God's grace. And, and salvation, again, it's not something that just happened in the past. And, and this is the key question that Paul puts before them. He says, but, but back to this gospel that you were saved by, do you still believe that gospel? Are you still standing in that gospel? The, the importance is the continuing to believe. And he says, any, any deviation from the gospel is, is, is puts you in danger of believing in vain. And, and he's saying really this, are you a people that believed with no effect? Did you believe in the gospel with, with no effect? That, that's what it means to believe in vain, to believe with no impact, to, to believe uselessly. The, the word there, vain, could mean rashly or... or um, uh, heedlessly. It's just something you just, you, you agree to. I, I'm very bad about this sometimes. Someone will ask me to do something, and I'm very bad. I, it could be good, it could be bad. My wife would say sometimes it's bad. I say it's good. But hey, Chris, can you help me with this? Yes. Well, did you think it through? No. Did you think about the cost? No. Did, what, did you realize that we had, uh, um, you know, a buddy of mine called and said, hey, I've got I've got tickets to the Orlando Magic game to go sit in the owner of the Magic's box. Yes. I came home and told Karen. She said, no. Why? Because we have plans that night already. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Yet your yes be yes and your no be no. Hush with all that Bible stuff, woman. This is the magic. The magic. Man, so guess what I will be doing? Not watching basketball Friday night. She wins. No, but uh, we, we committed to go to dinner with some people, and guess what we'll do? But, but he's saying, did, is that the way you have, have viewed the gospel? A, a mere mental assent? Just you, just you just gave to it to some facts, or did you really count the cost? Did you really take it in? Did, did you believe it with your heart? It, it, what Paul is saying is it's possible to have a superficial faith. It's possible to simply mentally ascend to some facts rather than truly believing and building your life on this gospel. It, it's sort of a, hey, I'm going to lean my life on Christ, but I'm also going to lean my life on the things of this world just in case. That's not biblical believing. That's not. It's Christ plus nothing is salvation. And, and it's continuing, it's, it's from that point on, it's building your life around the gospel. Look with me at, at Colossians 1.22. Yet he now has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. There's got to be more to it than that. That's not what I was thinking about then. Colossians 1.22. He, he says there in, in Colossians, there's a verse in Colossians, Around 122, it says, if you continue, if you continue in this belief, he says, you, what is it? 23, there you go, see that? Look at 23. If indeed you continue, there it is, thank you. If you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under the heavens in which I wrote, and he goes on to say, he, he, and, and again, this doesn't make salvation man-centered. 
He's saying the continuing is the evidence that there was really salvation in the first place. In 1 John 2.19, John says, Hey, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. Why? Because they didn't return to us. They didn't stay. It's just they weren't really of us. Because they would have remained with us had they really been of us. And the continuing is evidence that it's real. John 8 says, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine. If you continue. It's not something you just make a mental ascent to one day and then you go off and live like, you never, like it never happened. That's not biblical belief. Paul is saying, if your faith is a saving faith, you're going to hold fast to this word. It doesn't mean you don't stumble. It doesn't mean you don't worry. It doesn't mean, any, it doesn't mean you don't sin. What it means, though, is you always come back to the gospel. You're not trying to build your salvation on anything else. It's on the gospel. You continue. Unless, of course, you believed in vain. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, to, he's writing believers, he says, test yourself to see what? The test is this. Is Christ in you? He says, unless indeed you failed the test. Is he in you? And, and, and he's saying it's the gospel. It's this gospel that saves you and nothing else. And Satan is always trying to disrupt, to, to, to disrupt the genuine believers with false replicas of the gospel. It is true biblical belief. The biblical belief means this, to lean your entire weight upon. Not Christ plus something else or kind of Christ. Literally, like Paul says in in verse 19, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are to be most pitied. Why? Because we've built our entire life upon him. Entire life. And, And then Paul goes on, the natural question is this, what are the essentials of the gospel? What is the gospel that they believed? And Paul gives us three essentials here to the gospel. The first one is this. Look at verse 3. Christ died for our sins. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Substitutionary death. Jesus Christ died the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sins. He died where we deserve to die. He paid the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. He had no sin, but he took our sin upon him and he died for it, was crucified for it. He paid, again, the penalty that you and I deserve. We were alienated from God and Jesus Christ came and paid the price and reckon, made reconciliation to God available. Christ died for our sins and it's according to the scriptures. This is not, this is not new, this is not made up. According to the scriptures. Paul says, you look back in your Old Testament, you look in your scriptures, you'll find it. Go to Isaiah 3, I mean 53, you'll find it. Very clear picture. Christ died for our sins. Not only that, but second, Christ was physically buried after his death. Physically buried. It was a, th- here's the point here. It was a genuine death. He didn't look dead. He didn't just appear to be dead and then the disciples came and took his body and they No, no, he was buried. Dead. Completely dead. He wasn't just in a coma. He wasn't kind of teetering on... No, he was dead. Why? Because our uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The penalty that, d- that sin deserved was death. And Jesus paid that penalty totally for us. Died. Buried. Three days. 
Not only that, but he says Christ was raised. The third element is this. So you have Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, he was raised. Here's the point Paul makes. Christ is alive. That's a wonderful truth. That ought to get you fired up. Your Savior lives. God raised him from the dead, and in doing so, that vindicated that God was satisfied with Christ's payment. When God raised Christ from the dead, that showed proof that he was satisfied that that sin's payment, that sin's debt had been paid for satisfactorily. That was, in essence, your receipt. When you, if you ever pay your home off, whatever that might look like, they're going to mail you a deed that says, hey, it is yours. Proof. Look, your, your home belongs to you. You look at Ephesians 1.13, the Holy Spirit is God's pledge. Down payment. There's more to come. But look, Christ, God was satisfied with Christ's payment. It was full. The debt was paid. Salvation was accomplished on our behalf. Done. We don't earn it. It's been earned for us. We accept it by faith. What, what we believe that Christ has done for us, we apply that to our life, and then we live out of the result of having been saved and delivered. And, and it's interesting. The verb here for, for, that says, has been raised, in, in the Greek, maybe more than you want to know, but that is in the perfect passive And what it means is this, that Christ was raised and he still lives today. It wasn't he was raised and maybe died later. He was raised and something happened. He was raised and he continues to live forever. That's what Paul says. Never to die again. He lives. He still lives today. He was just as live then as he is today. Still lives. He, he wasn't raised then, but doesn't live today. It, it wasn't that the resurrection was effective then, but not effective today. Just as effective today as it was the first day it happened. That's what Paul is saying. Christ's death will always be effective for the forgiveness of sin. No matter what we've done, no matter what we haven't done, no matter how bad we've been, no matter how good we've been, guess what? You still have to fall on Jesus Christ for salvation, and His death will always be effective to forgive your sin and cancel that debt. Always. Always. That, that is the bare essence of our faith. Look with me at Romans 10.9. Paul writes this in Romans 10.9. This is the word of faith that we're preaching. He says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The belief in the resurrection is absolutely necessary for salvation. It's not just, I believe that he died for my sin. No, I believe that he was raised from my sins three days later. And I believe that he still lives today. Look, look at 1 Thessalonians four fourteen. For if we believe that Jesus died, what, and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. They go together. It wasn't just that he died. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody, make sure, because some people, some people might be okay believing he died, but it may sound a little absurd to them that three days later he rose. He died and rose again. Look, look at Galatians 1, 6-9. This is how imperative this is. Paul says this, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Uh, Again, these core elements of the gospel are absolutely essential. Christ lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. To not believe that or to alter that is to believe another gospel, which Paul says is really not a gospel at all because it's not good news, it's bad news, and you are to be accursed. Accursed, as strong a language as he could use there. To alter the gospel in any way, to make it more palatable, to make it more acceptable, to make it more pleasing, to make it less offensive, is to alter the gospel entirely and is to make it no gospel at all. That's how important it is. And and again, everything that Paul puts forth here, he says this, it was according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures, Jesus Christ in doing what He did in living, dying, and resurrecting fulfilled the Scriptures. Fulfilled the Scriptures. And, And Paul says, this is our authority to which we speak. We have authority. The Scriptures. The Old Testament and the New Testament both attest to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, hey, you want evidence? And there they they would have said, show me evidence. Okay, I'll give you evidence. And that he appeared to Cephas. Then he appeared to 12. Okay, so there's, there's 12 there. He says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Okay, 500. And you know what Paul puts this in here? Notice what he says. And most of them are still alive today. You want to go ask them? Go ask them. I'm not talking about, Paul's saying this, I'm not talking about something that happened 200 years ago that nobody can talk to the people that were around. Anybody, ever ever talked to anybody that said, hey, George Washington was real? Abraham Lincoln real? No, you ain't talked to them. We believe it. Because we're told it. Guess what, Paul is saying the same thing. You want evidence? I, I give you over 500 people that saw him raised. 500, and they're alive today. You want to go talk to them? Go talk to them. You doubt what I'm saying is true? Hey, go talk to them. They're here. 500. He said, Paul is saying, if I was hiding something, if Paul was making something up about the resurrection, they would have found him out. They just said, hey, that's not true. We saw it. But he says, no, 500, over 500 People he appeared to at one time, and they're they're alive today. Most of them, go talk to them. Go ask them what they saw. I I was reading this week, they said that historians, look, secular, non-secular, and this isn't unified, but but real historians who are unbiased to the facts, who simply say, hey, I'm going to look at the facts, and I will make an honest assessment. Historians have conceded that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most verifiable facts in human history. One of the most verifiable facts in human history because of the, uh, the amount of other people who wrote about it and attested to it and witnessed it. One of the most verifiable facts in human history. And yet if we're honest as believers, sometimes we just pass it off or doubt it. And, and Paul, Paul even puts himself in the evidence. He says, look at me. I used to persecute you guys until the Damascus Road. I left everything behind. I was, the, I was on my way to be the elite of the elite of the Pharisees. And look at me now. 
All because of that Damascus road when Jesus appeared to him, changed his life. Paul, Paul is saying here, I'm a special apostle, untimely born. I did not meet the qualifications to be an apostle like these others did, but Jesus Christ appeared to me on the, the Damascus road, and, and he's a special apostle. You can go to 2 Corinthians 12, 12 and see that. Paul was, was, a, was a unique apostle in that sense. God, God himself made sure he met the qualifications. Paul is saying, look at the evidence. Look, look at, Paul, Paul himself says, look at my labor on behalf of the gospel. It was a response to grace. His labor was an effect of grace. Look at 10. You know, Paul did not believe anything in this easy believism or just take Jesus and then go on and live how you wanted to live. Look at it. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove in vain. You see that word again? It didn't prove in vain. And here's how I know. I labored even more than all of you. Not even I, but the grace of God that was in me. What was laboring through Paul? It was salvation. It had an effect on him. It wasn't Paul trying to earn his salvation. It was the fact that Paul was saved. He understood the gravity of that. That Christ gave up his life for him. And guess what Paul said? The natural response, as he says in Romans 12, is to give up our earthly life for him. And he labored for the gospel. And all of it was God's activity through him. It was God working through him. So the, so the application for this, for this first point, the fact of the resurrection is this. The, the fact of the resurrection and our guaranteed salvation, if we have truly trusted that, it ought to lead to a greater effort on our behalf for the gospel. It ought not to lead to the conclusion that I'm saved, I'll just sit back and enjoy life. That, that's not accurate. It ought to lead, it ought to flow out. God's grace in us ought to have an effect. It ought to overflow in us if it's in us. To a greater, to a greater effort. And, and it's because we're fully convinced of His resurrection. and not, We're not trying to fill the gaps, we're not trying to fill in a void that Jesus' salvation provided. It's not from that. It's because we are saved. And Paul says that in Romans 12, 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, by the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. He goes on to say, it's only reasonable that you would give yourself up, a reasonable response, based on the mercy of God, that you would abandon yourself to this great gospel. That's the only reasonable response. And in the gospel God takes our weaknesses and he turns them into opportunities to magnify his great grace. That's the gospel. You look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. In my weakness, what? God is made strong. He's made great. It's God taking us weak, lowly center, sinners, saving us, and then magnifying his grace in and through our lives. We get the opportunity to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords who lives. And, and the point Paul is making to the Corinthians but us is live for the gospel. Live. Live like your Savior is alive because He is. Live like one day He's coming back for you because He will. And, and, and proclaim the gospel with absolute confidence that God, in His love, sent His Son to die where you and I deserve to die, they buried him, and three days later he rose from the grave. Share that with great confidence. 
Share that for the fact that it is good news. The fact of the resurrection. Good news. But not only that, secondly, Paul goes in here to the effects of the resurrection. The effects of Jesus' bodily resurrection. And he makes it very clear here. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, everything else about what we do is false. If he has not been raised from the dead, everything is false. This is how important this is to us. We must be confident in this truth. There are tremendous consequences to the resurrection not being a reality. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, what he goes on to say is that none of us are going to be raised from the dead. That death still has victory over us. That sin still reigns. That nothing was accomplished. Christianity is absurd with no resurrection. Please hear that. It's absurd. Dumb. A waste of our time with no resurrection. No resurrection. It's a waste of our time. To deny, to deny the resurrection, Paul says here in 12 and following, is to deny the gospel. Our past and our future rests on the, the, the certainty of the resurrection. Rests on it. And Paul says that. If Christ is preached that he has not been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He's saying if, if the fact of the resurrection is what it is, how could you say that it's not? All this evidence, you know it's true. But Paul says, okay, let me give you the consequences. Suppose you're right. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised, then if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain. Moreover, and we're even found to be false witnesses. He says, you're a liar. And not only that, God's a liar. If there is no resurrection. He says, because we testified against, that word really is concerning, God, that He raised Christ. Our testimony, our gospel is, hey, Christ is alive. If He's not, you're a liar. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are men most to be pitied. Not You notice what Paul didn't say, oh, well, it's okay, you still lived a good moral life. No, he didn't say that. He said, you'd ought to be pitied, pitied, because you wasted your life. And, and look with me what he says here in your handouts, the consequences of denying the resurrection. Number one, I showed you our faith is worthless, worthless. Not, not oh, well, it led me to live a good life. It led me to be nice. It led me to do this. Worthless, worthless. That's Paul's words. Not only that, our preaching is worthless. It's in vain. I got no content. I got nothing to say to you. Trust me. You don't want to know what goes on in this mind apart from the Word of God. You don't. I'm still trying to figure out how to go to Orlando Magic Game this Friday. Even while I'm preaching to you, I'm trying to figure out how do I make this happen. I got a pretty good relationship with these people. I think if I called the husband and explained to him the circumstances, I guarantee you he'd cancel. I'm thinking about calling him when we leave here. I got to figure out how to get to this game. Man, I've never been to an NBA game. Still won't come Saturday. <laughs> our, our witness, look at verse 15. Our, not only that, not only our, our faith and our preaching, our witness is false. It's false. We are liars. Liars. Nobody in here would say, oh, he's a good moral man, but he's a liar. He's a, he's a good guy, except that he's a liar. 
We're liars. I'm lying to you right now. If Christ is not raised from the dead, everything I've said here for the last two years and three months has been lies. Lies. But not only that, he says, your Savior is dead. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, you, your Savior is dead. We're going to look at that one in a moment. He says, your sin, not only that, your sin still reigns. Your sin is still has mastery over you. To, the die, to deny the resurrection is to deny the future, but it's also to deny, to deny the past, and it's to deny the present. We have not received forgiveness for our sins if Christ has not been reconciled or, or, or resurrected, and we're still in our sins. We're going to die, and that's it. Done. And he says that in verse 18. Death is victorious. No resurrection, that means death is is victorious. Those who have died are lost forever. No promise of reunion, no promise of seeing them again, no promise of living forever with them. They're gone. They're gone. Verse 19, our hope is foolish. To hope in Christ, to have any hope at all, is a waste of time, is foolish if there is no resurrection. Because the hope of the resurrection is that, guess what? I'm going to live forever. That all my loved ones who have gone before me, I'm going to spend, that were in Christ, those that were believers, I have some that were not, some many were, I'm going to spend eternity with them. And that's what Paul addresses in 29 through 34. Look over here real quick, we're going to skip ahead. 29 through 34, he says, otherwise, he, he's saying your hope is foolish, otherwise, what will, if there's no resurrection, see Paul in 12 through 19 assumes, let's argue for a second if there's not a resurrection, 20 through 28, he says, let's, let's believe the fact that there is a resurrection. And then 29 through 34, he kind of goes back to say, okay, again, just a couple more thoughts. If there's no resurrection, think this through. And he says this, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? See, in, he, he really calls them out as hypocrites because they had this unbiblical false practice of baptizing people. You would get baptized for somebody who was dead. Somebody who had died before you, who was never baptized, they had this practice. It's a very secular, uh, unbiblical practice. They would say, well, I'm going to get baptized on behalf of this person. You know what Paul says to them? Why are you doing that? You're a hypocrite. If there's no resurrection from the dead, why are you doing that? He's saying, your own practices tell me that you know there's a resurrection. You're going about it in a wrong way. But you know deep down there's a resurrection. Why are you baptizing people for the dead? He says, if the dead are not raised at all... Why, why are you being baptized for him? Why are you wasting your time? He says not only that, he says, but look at my life, verse 30. Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in which you and I have in Christ our Lord, I die daily. You, you, look, you look elsewhere in, in 2 Corinthians, what all Paul dealt with. Shipwrecks, beatings, persecutions, imprisonments. He said, guys, why would I do that for a lie? I'm telling you, I saw, the, I saw him. He's alive. That's why I'm doing that. And, and truth matters for Paul. Morality, nothing without Jesus Christ and God's Word. Why do I know that murder is murder? Because of God's Word and God put it in my heart. Adultery, stealing, all those things. Why? Because of God's Word. Those are God's Word. And God has put that truth in us. Go to Romans 1. We know those things are false. Why? Because God in His grace. Otherwise, do whatever you want to do. 
if there is no resurrection. There are huge consequences to denying the resurrection. But, but wonderfully, wonderfully, as Paul says in verses 20 through 28, none of that is true, what I just said. None of it is true. And that's what Paul says in verses 20 through 28. The consequences, he says, listen to, the set of, listen to the, what, what Christ set in motion when he died, was buried, and resurrected. The consequences of the reality of our resurrection. Our faith is effective. Your faith is effective. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. You know what he's saying? You know what the first fruits were? They would give the first fruits away because that was an indication of what was yet to come. That was their way of saying, hey, this is what the first fruits look like. The rest is going to be good. And he's saying Jesus Christ's resurrection was the first fruits. Guess what? He was resurrected, so everyone who's in Christ after him, resurrection. Guaranteed resurrection. Not only that, sin is conquered. Verse 21, for since by man came by a man came death, man came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Sin is conquered. Does it still does it still convince us or get us to do things we shouldn't? It does, but it's conquered. When we submit to our sin, which we don't have to, we're submitting to a defeated foe. Please know that. You're submitting yourself to a conquered foe. You're putting yourself back in prison in shackles that you've already been freed from. Don't do it, he says. Death is defeated. Death is defeated. Not only that, our hope is secure. It's in Jesus Christ. Just like we just saw, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The hymn says, I dare not trust the freed sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Secure. Our Savior is alive. Our Savior is alive. Something that is very unique to Christianity. Our witness is true. Our witness is true. We testify to the truth. And since Christ was raised, guess what? Everyone else who is in Jesus Christ is going to be raised. That's what Paul says. It guarantees it. Christ's bodily resurrection guarantees the bodily resurrection of all believers. It's a guarantee. And again, what Paul says, Christ did not rise on his own. God raised him. He raised him. You can go all the way to, to Romans 1. It's not in your notes, but Romans 1 verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, hey, it, that was declaring, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. The resurrection proved that. And, and Paul is putting that forth. God has sovereign reign over everything. And the final enemy that's going to be put to death is death itself. It's death itself. And again, the, the verse 28, what's the culmination so that God may be all in all? And, and again, you look at those verses, and, and we've just went through it a couple times in chapter 11 and 14, and we had to say some things that were not socially acceptable with regards to women and that nasty S-word submission and head coverings and all this other stuff that nobody wants to hear. But, but not, notice why Christ, who was co-equal with God, why did he submit to God? So that God would be glorified. Co-equal. 
But he subjected himself to God. Why? So that God would be glorified. Wives, why do you subject yourself to your husband? So that God would be glorified. Like we said last week, husbands, why, why are we commanded to lead in a God-honoring way? In a loving, self-sacrificing way? So that God would be glorified. Not so I get my own way. Not so I have a servant. It's for God to be glorified. Christ laid down His life to the glory of His Father. I ought to lay down my life for my family to the glory of the Father. And Karen, for better or worse, even if it means following, chasing me to Orlando next Friday, she's going to submit to me to the glory of God. <laughs> to the glory of God. I'm going to preach this Saturday if I make the bad mistake here. No, just kidding, just kidding. I'm not going. But that's what Paul is saying. Do it to the glory of God. The, the resurrection, listen to me, the resurrection with God's final point saying this, death is defeated. God has reversed the effects of Adam's sin. sin. Through Adam, sin came to all men. Through Christ, salvation has been offered to all men. Death is conquered. And, and the work of Christ is key to everything. We're going to sing in just a moment because He lives. Listen to me. Everything hinges in Christianity because He lives. Listen to me. All of Christ's work and ministry are dependent upon Jesus Christ being alive. They're dependent upon Jesus Christ being alive. Look with me. Fill these in in your handout. In order for Jesus to be our intercessor, He must be alive. Hebrews 7.25 says He's our intercessor. Guess what? If He's dead, He's not intercessing for anybody. You're on your own. 1 John 2, 1 says that Jesus is our advocate. That's your second fill-in. He's our defense attorney. Guess what? A dead defense attorney? Useless. Useless. You're on your own. In order for Jesus to be our comforter, I put there John 14, 16. That talks about the Holy Spirit coming as another comforter. Jesus was our comforter. But also write down next to that Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, that we have a high priest that can sympathize. And he says, come to me, come to me with confidence. Guess what? If he's dead, you're not coming to him. In order for, if Luke 1, 37 says that Jesus is our defender, says nothing is too, too difficult. In order for Jesus to be our defender, he's got to be alive. Next there, in order for Jesus to be, the next to the last one, 1 Peter 5, 4, in order for Jesus to be our chief shepherd, He's got to be alive. Dead shepherd doesn't do anything for his sheep. Does nothing. 1 Timothy 2.5 says Jesus is our mediator. In order for Jesus to be our mediator, our go-between, he's got to be alive. I mean, the list goes on and on. I, I had to stop there. Do you see the necessity of a, of a raised, resurrected Savior? Paul is saying, I did everything in my life. In, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 27 look over here just for a second at some of the example of what Paul did. This is just a quick synopsis of what Paul went through on behalf of Christ. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 27 Paul writes this, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments. Listen to this. Beaten times without number. He says, I lost count how many times I got beaten often in danger of death. 
Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and without exposure. And with exposure. He says, apart from that, I mean, as if, hello. As apart from that, he goes on in verse 28 to say, there's the daily, I mean, as if that was nothing, there's the daily pressure of me to concern for all the churches. I, I can understand what Paul, what Paul says there. I think about it constantly. What's going on in y'all's lives? Constantly. It's never separated. It's never off. And the question that got the question that that the question that I was just from application as we get in as we close here is this: What are you doing in your life that would seem absurd if there were no resurrection? Anything about your life that if Christianity was proven true tomorrow? That the people in your co-workers and all your friends that know you're a believer, that they, those aren't believers, anything in your life, they, they would come to you and say, you're a fool. You believe the lie. You built your whole life. Anything about your life that would seem absurd. Anything that people around you would pity you over if Christianity was proven false because of how you're living your life today. What, what, is there anything in your life that you're doing that is solely motivated by the fact that Jesus lives and one day you'll live too? Anything. And true belief in the resurrection frees us up to live by faith no matter the sacrifice, no matter the risk, no matter the cost. That's what Paul is saying. If we would truly, truly believe this, it would free us up to live by faith no matter the sacrifice, risk, or cost. But because of the resurrection, I can now live beyond myself. I've been freed up to live for others. Because I know this, one day I'm going to live forever. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, what he says is we ought to, verse 32, he says we ought to waste our lives on ourselves if Christ isn't raised from the dead. But Paul is saying he is raised from the dead. He has been. He's alive. So don't waste your life on yourself. Give up this life, knowing that He's going to make it right in the end. Romans 8.18, For I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be um, compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul says, hey, you chalk up everything I've sacrificed, it's not even worth mentioning compared to the resurrection. So, so real quick, Real quick, application. Let's bring this home. Let's bring this home. Christ's resurrection sets Christianity as a, apart from all its rivals. Other, other religions in many ways have developed as a response to Christianity and, and do not claim deity of their followers. They're, they're, they're merely prophets. You, you look at Muhammad in Islam. Joseph Smith, Mormonism, guess what? Dead. 
They're dead. What do they offer? Other, other religions beyond those don't even require actual historical evidence that their founders for their beliefs and that their practices even make sense. They don't even require it. It's just philosophical jargon. It's just, it's just a bunch of words. They're just philosophy. Hinduism, Buddhism, just philosophical stuff. Make no claims. Uh, they, they revolve around feelings or senses or, or some encounter. Christianity centers on a man who lived, died, was buried, and was resurrected. Sets us apart from all others. All others. And here's the thing. They can't all be true. All the religions can't be true. Because they contradict each other. They contradict each other. They make different claims. We've got to be settled as a people that Christianity is the one that God, that Jesus Christ, that God is Father, they are, He is the one true God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is saved but through Him. We've got to get that settled. It ain't, it ain't we are all going to heaven in a little rowboat. It ain't there's a lot of different ways to get to the same destination. There's one way, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. One way. And, and, and again, don't think Christianity would be okay without the resurrection. Don't, don't boil it down to, well, if it's not real, then, then God lived a moral life. No, you wasted your life. If Christianity is not real, you wasted your life. You're wasting your time right now. You waste your money. You waste your energy. You waste your time. You're a liar. You've gone around telling people about something that was a lie. Nobody would say that's a good life. It's important. And, and I hope you take, I, I, get, I get emotional about this just because of what God's doing in my own life. Don't take it the wrong way. I'm not mad. I just want us to understand the importance of the resurrection. Because He lives, everything changes. And we need a proper perspective on life and everything pertaining to it simply because of this, Jesus lives.